Listener Production. You are listening to episode 162 of the Howie Games Part B, a special episode with Shaquille O'Neal on We Roll. What does Phil bring to you, Kobe, and the Lakers? Phil was weird. Was he? Yeah. In what way? So he would make us do these dumb chants. Yobo, 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 yobo. At training? At training. Like, so, at, How'd it go? Yama, 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 like for uh, like an hour. So, but the good thing about Phil is we did the same thing every day. So we'd meditate and while we was doing these chants. He's talking to us. Imagine yourself at the championship. I don't care if you're down by two. We're never going to panic. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We do the same thing every day. And he come up with this thing that smelled like weed. Oh yeah. Not that I know what weed no, smells. Of course. Like. Of course. But he come in, so one day, because look, I'm, I'm doing my chance, I'm like, yo, 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 getting high. <laughs> so I'll pull him to the side, I said, well, what, what is this? It smells like weed. He tells me that sage is the cousin of weed. I never knew that. But we were very high going into practice every day. But like, so in tough times, we never panic. He never panicked. If the general doesn't panic, then the troops will never panic. So even if we could go back to the uh, Western Conference Finals versus Portland, where we were down 17 points in the fourth quarter. So we come right to the timeout, and he says, all right, guys, go to your place. This is the moment of truth. If you don't win this game, we will start all over. And he said, all right, he didn't call any players. He said, just go to work. And I looked at Kobe, and Kobe looked at me, and looked at Brian Shaw. I was like, okay, it's time to go to work. So for all of us that will never be there but watch it, and there's obviously a lot of basketball fans here, what is the final seven games like when it's the NBA finals, spotlight, it's seen all around the world? What's it like going out and playing it and the pressure and the media and the attention surrounding it? So pressure to me doesn't exist because pressure is where when you don't know your next meal is coming from. Think okay. about a real-life situation where a person doesn't have anything. That's pressure. You make a lot of money to play a game. I'm tired of those spoiled brats talking about they can't handle the pressure. We'll give the money back then if you can't handle the pressure. Yeah. Give it back. Right? That's, that's the first thing. So, this is something you dream about. It's just something you want. So in 94, 95, when we got swept by the Houston Rockets, as a leader, it's all my fault. And that, you know, that, that sat on me very heavy. So I said to myself, okay, if I ever get back, I'm killing people. I'm knocking teeth out, I'm busting eyeballs, I'm just killing people. So when we got back to the finals, I just had to turn that switch. So now you're talking about averaging 28. In my mind, I say, if I don't average 40, I'm not playing well. So whoever was out there just tried to get 40. So after you win that first game, you just say three games left. Second game, two games left, three and one game left. So you know, when I got to the finals in Orlando, I had let up. Oh, you made it to the finals, you're going to win. But it taught me a valuable lesson. Don't celebrate until the job is done. So we get to the finals, you celebrate that night, but the next morning, I'm pissed off. Who are we playing? Rick Smith's, I'm about to kill this Dutch bastard. <laughs> Killing him. So, you know, like I said, one game, two game, three game, and then after you win that fourth game and get the championship, then you can celebrate. But, you know, it's just, if you're a great player, you're gonna get criticized. And I just got tired of people saying, Shaq's a great player, but, I don't want no butts behind my name. To the unanimous MVP of the 2000 finals, Shaquille O'Neal. 
and, and you guys went on and won three in a row. What brings you back for the second time and the third time? What are those moments like? And you're getting paid an enormous amount of money. You're successful. People are talking you up wherever you go. What brings you back for number two, Shaq, and number three, Shaq, and then eventually to another franchise, number four? You know, growing up in high school and growing up in life, we all start off as okay. Then we get better. Then we become good. Then we become great. Some go on to be greater. But to be the greatest is the final feat. So... You know, I'm good enough to win one. A lot, of, a lot of players are good enough to win one, but can you be better? Can, can, can you be great now? So, you know, after more criticism and more doubt, I said, okay, we have the formula now, so we know what it takes. We're going to apply the same formula, just add a few more pieces, and you know we got the second one down. And then after we get the second one, you know, it's just, it's just more challenges. Yeah, Shaq and Kobe are good, but are they as good as the, the first Laker dynasty? So, you, you know, when, when you challenge a guy like me, instead of sulking and whining and complaining, I'm trying to step up to the challenge. You know, imagine Kareem didn't three-peat. So, you know, Kobe and I three-peat. So now we have, a, have our own place in Laker history. And what was it about you and Kobe? So much written about you off court, but we're, we're here to talk on court. What was it about you two that had the synergy to take you to three titles? Because we both had the drive of wanting to be the best. Brian, to shot! See, he wanted to be the best in the world. I wanted to be the most dominant in the world. Yep. And sometimes we would bump heads, not bump heads personally, but just bump heads on strategy. Because look, Kobe can shoot every time. He's really that good. And I can shoot every time in my little area because I'm that good. Yep. So we just had to figure out, like, hey, get the ball at me inside. Let me get everybody in foul trouble. And then especially if I'm not shooting the free throws well, fourth quarter is yours. You can have it. It's all yours. So he would come down. He would take care of me. And, you know, then you know I would get double. You know, I, I, was, I was always looking for him first. Because, look, when I was in Orlando, had the great Benny Hardaway with me. And if we couldn't get it done, that automatically lets me know that you can't get it done by yourself. You need another guy that plays similar to how you play. And Kobe was that guy. I saw you looking at the photos of him up there. We have lost a couple of much-loved sportsmen here in Australia in the last 12 months, which has been difficult for a lot of people. You lost your playing partner, Kobe, which was mourned by the world. How did it sit for you? I'm sorry for your loss. Well, thank you. I was still in sort of a mourning process because a couple months before that, my baby sister died. Sorry. You could never fathom that your younger siblings would pass away before you. And my sister was perfect. Never asked me for anything, worked, got two degrees, was running a hotel that uh, my mother owned in, in Orlando. It was just a fabulous. And she had cancer twice. So when she had cancer the third time, we thought she was going to beat it. And... You know, I went to see her on a Friday, and you know she was in the hospital bed. And my family, they they let me work. But then they're gonna, you know, hit me with their problems. And you know, my sister was smiling, and I said, "You want me to stay here with you? I gotta go to LA. I was a bit no, handle your business." But something told me to stay, so I fly, fly. You know, on the way back, something just unsettled in my stomach, and then I called my mom, and she said she's gone. The fact that I wasn't able to talk to her before she'd gone really hit me. So now I'm at home one day watching Netflix, and my oldest son just comes in crying. Like, he, he has the phone, he's shaking, he's crying. So now I'm trying to stop time. Is it your mother? 
Is it my mother? Mm. Is it one of the kids? What's going on? Never expected him to say, Kobe's gone. So when I grabbed the phone, I was like, because you know, and I don't know about here, but in America, there's a lot of gossip, right? So I was watching the game the night before where somebody had broke his record. I think LeBron broke his record, passed him up in points. So I was like, this is a hoax. Relax, let me make a couple of phone calls. So my ex-wife called me crying, and then Jeannie Buss called me crying, and it was true. So I just broke down, you know, the fact that I didn't even get a chance to talk to him. Because he works, I work, I don't, I don't like to bother people, you know, so. What would you have said if you had that opportunity? No, just like, you know, we've, we've, We've made history together, so I, I should have been the one to just call once a week or text once a month or once a year, happy birthday, hey, how's the kids? But we never did that, so that, that kind of still, you know, sits with me. So anybody that you're thinking about or anybody you haven't talked to, uh, send them a text, you know, just give them a call because once they're gone, they're gone forever. When you moved on from the Lakers, obviously there was one more championship to come. But at that stage, again, it was, nah, Shaq can't do it without Kobe. Shaq can't do it without the Lakers. Shaq's not going to have any success there. What did the fourth title mean to you? Like, it's true greatness when you're starting to win that many Yeah, it is, but the, the criticism is just, listen, criticism fuels me. You're not going to make me get down on myself or make me sad. Not even going to get me ups, upset. It's just going to fuel me. And I said, okay, so when I was getting traded, before I was getting traded, I was watching the playoffs and was watching Dwayne Wade just kill everybody. But I realized that he needed somebody, mm. you know, that can, you know, do certain things for, for them to get to the next level. And then when I was getting traded, I was like, listen, this towards the end of my career, I can't be playing in places that are cold. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to Florida and I bought a house on the water and everything was good. And, <laughs> and I went to Miami and played with D-Wade and I said, listen, this is your team. I'm going to be the, be the supervisor, you know, I'll be your partner but I can teach you how to get to to that next level. And we would have won the first year, but I had a thigh injury, and we lost in the game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals. But we, uh, I think if we would have, if I didn't have that injury, we definitely would have beat Detroit, and we would have killed Patty Mills and the Spurs in the finals. Ah. We would have killed them. Yeah, I think we've got some vision. We've got some vision of when you eventually won it. The Miami Heat, they've done it. They win their first championship in franchise history. How do you reflect on your career? Did you do everything you wanted to do? Did you do everything you could do? Yes, I did it my way. So, you know, you have to you have to do things your way. So when the I had fun. I made sure that people got their 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 money's worth. Yes. I have statues, I have retired jerseys, I dominated. My name is in a history book, but none of that matters to me. Because when it's all said and done, this is what I want my statement to read. Shaq was a nice guy. Yeah. I love that. Well, from what I've seen, you're living up to that. You're doing that. <laughs> Business is such an integral part of your life. You quoted the stats to me earlier on about so many athletes leave the game with a dollar after earning incredible amounts. How did you gain an understanding of business? So after I, remember I told you how I spent a million dollars in one day? Yes. I'm programmed not to make the same mistake twice. Right. I was like, okay, if I could spend that in two days and not be aware of what's going on and not understand certain things. I said to myself, okay, I don't want to be part of this stat, 
want to be able to take care of my family forever. And at the bank, the, the bank manager gave me a book, The Dummy's Guide to Starting Your Own Business. That was your first business book? My, my first business book. So I'm reading the book, but I didn't understand anything. But one chapter that excited me was joint ventureships. Right. So to me, partnerships. I've always loved meeting people. So if I'm going to you know, start a TV show, in Australia, you're going to be my co-host. Thank you very much. When are we doing this? Be because you're good, you're sexy. <laughs> you're talking sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I said, okay, that method uh, right there. And then uh, corporations, you know, I, I, I like those certain terms. And I learned in high school from not being the smartest guy, mm. it's okay to ask questions. Mm. So now that I'm in the business world, I, I would ask questions. So, you know, a lot of times when you say get an education, people think it's about going to school and getting a degree. No, education is about asking questions, getting a certain understanding and comprehending what's being said to you and applying that to, you know, whatever you're trying to do. So I said, okay. What's the first thing I'm gonna do? <laughs> Started the Shack brand. First thing I did. But I wasn't really experienced enough to run it. Joint ventureship, here's that word. So I already have the Shack brands over here, it's not really doing much. But Reebok has the muscle to move that. Mm. Right? So when I signed the deal with Reebok, hey, I want my emblems on shirts, I want my own shoes, boom, 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 boom. They do most of the work. Boom, pay me, boom. So that was very, very successful. I said, Let's, okay, so every business I do now is going to have to have a joint ventureship component to it. So with Reebok, I read about your own shoe line once you've moved into Walmart. Tell me that story. So I was leaving the arena, and this young lady was carrying a baby, and you know, usually when people walk up, it's, hey, Shaq, take a picture of her. She was very upset. Right, she didn't want a picture. No, she, she was throwing vulgar words at me and just okay. going off. And basically she was saying, I can't afford the shoes. So I had some money in my pocket. I was like, ma'am, because I, I, again, I'm young to business. I don't understand price point and distribution. I just, you know, when I went to Nike, they didn't want to give me my own shoe. When I went to Reebok, Reebok said, we'll give you anything you want. So I signed the deal, very lucrative deal, but wasn't really focused on the business. I was just, I wanted to have my shoe next to Mike. Mm. Mike got a shoe. Shaq got a shoe. <laughs> That's all I cared about, you know, just family and friends and, you know, my homeboys, going back to my old high school, my college, oh, here's my shoe, right? But wasn't really paying attention to the, to the economics of it all. So she was like, you guys make, make all this money and you charging our babies this much for a shoe? So as I'm riding home in the car, I was like, she makes sense <laughs> because the, 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 most, I, my dad probably paid for some shoes with $30, $40, right? And what would your shoes yes. have been retailing for? My uh, the Reeboks, $200. Okay. Yeah, because Mike was at $300. I, I couldn't go to $300 because <laughs> I wasn't that famous yet. So I said, we're going to keep ours at $200. So I called Reebok and I said, after this deal is up, we'll probably do something else. Would you like to do a joint venture? They weren't interested because my price points were too low. So I found a guy who already had distribution in all those stores, Payless, uh, Walmart, Kmart, and we did the deal, it was very successful. That was in 95, so I think since 95, I probably sold over 300 million pairs. 300 million yeah. pairs. And what's the... Price point is, highest price point is 49. So it's 49, 39, 29, 19, nine. And what's it like? You know, you're, you're a very famous man, you're a very well-known man, but when you see a kid wearing 
sneakers with your name on them that you know his parents could afford? I get a lot of compliments. And you know, children are finicky. You know, they, they want to wear the whatever's hot. So I, I realize that it's not that they don't want to wear shoes that are $29. They don't want to wear shoes that look like they cost $29. So I use real leather and got real designers and I just try to give them, you know, the best for their money. But, you know, when it comes to high name athletes, I'm definitely top two. May not be number one, but I'm definitely not number three. No doubt, no doubt. So. I, I don't want to embarrass you, and I know these things aren't done for the public viewing, but reading about you for the last week and watching a lot of videos, the thing that really touched me, touched my heart, and made me think, well, before I met you, this man must be a lovely man, is you've been filmed in various situations, giving things away to people. Uh, there's, there's a young chap, there's, it's just sneakers, but there's a young chap and you helped him out by buying his engagement ring for his fiance. So this one right here. Yeah, so this is, tell me about this. So we were in Ibiza. In Spain? In Spain. Right. And these two kids were just looking at the laptops. That used to be me. Right. Looking at stuff that I couldn't afford. <laughs> and they were just looking. And the people at the Apple store were, they, they were nice to the kids. They, they let them you know, go from laptop to laptop. So I went and hollered at the kids and they didn't understand English. But one of my best friends is Spanish. And I said, tell them kids I want to buy them a laptop. So he goes to them and said, hey, you know, Spanish. That was your Spanish. So he says, he says, hey, my friend wants to buy you two laptops. And the kids said, no. He said, what do you mean? He said, because if we come up with these laptops, these parents going to think that, 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 that you know, we stole them. I said, call your parents. So we called the parents, and the parents recognized me. So my friend told them, <laughs> So I, I bought those kids those, those laptops, and it, was, and it was wonderful. And then the people at the Apple store were crying. They said, oh, my God, these kids come here every day, and we let them play on the computer because we know they couldn't afford it. And then, you know, the other thing, and with Walmart, I have a deal with Walmart to every Christmas I just bring, you know, loads of children and just tell them, you know, pick whatever they want. Like Father Christmas. Christmas? Yeah, because it's an alarming stat in the States that 15 million... It's a very alarming stat that in, in the States, 15 million and up, children will wake up one day with no presents. No presents. Mm. Zero presents on Christmas Day. So I, you know, I always, always tell people, if you're big time in your city and your state and your country, do something so we could, you know, you know, help, you know, let's lo lower those numbers. Because I, I would wake up every now and then and on Christmas and then not get anything. But my father would, would uh, explain it to me. He said, hey, you know, he would always call me big man. He would always treat me like a man. He's like, hey, big man, money's tight. Your sister wants the Barbie, the Barbie house, the thing, the thing, the cooking thing. So let me take care of the girls first and then I'll take care of you. And I was like, that's cool, because I didn't want anything anyway. The only thing I wanted was a boom box or a basketball. So he, you know, a couple of days, a couple of Christmas, I didn't get anything, but I understood. But I know how that, how that, how that feels, and I wouldn't want uh, any child to, you know, have that feeling. Thank you. Back to Shaq in a moment. We have been fortunate enough to have some superstar basketballs on this show. 
one of the most popular episodes in the history of the show, episode 39, Luke Longley, the Chicago Bulls, Jordan, etc. Episode 52, another NBA champion, Andrew Bogut, one of the greats of Australian sport. Episode 75, the funny man, Andrew Gaze, one of the truly great Australians. Episode 95, Paddy Mills, and a lady who is back on court. Phenomenal athlete. Episode 99, Lauren Jackson. Check out all those basketball episodes, but as I said, Luke Longley, episode 39, blew my socks off. There was a certain amount of Beatles about. Like We'd rock up at a hotel wherever we were in the country and there would be, I don't know, 500 people there with cameras and not media. We're just talking pundits trying to get a look. Um, so we used to use, have to use aliases in the hotel room. I was Norman Gunston for a whole year. Piss off. <laughs> no, I was. No, no Americans are walking up and saying, oh, we, you know, put me through to Norman Gunston, please. I was, um, I was Stagger Lee for a while. Stagger Lee? Oh, he's a character in a Nick Cave song. Right. Um, who who else was I? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Norman Gunston. Well, oh, Bruce Dool. I was Bruce Dool for a while. <laughs> Yeah, I was going with the Aussie icons of my in my own mind anyway. This is my favourite moment of this podcast <laughs> series to date. That's Luke Longley on episode 39 of the show. Let's get back to Shaq. What stands clearest in your mind where you've helped someone with your wealth? So remember the quote I gave you about pressure? Yep. So Orlando Magic versus New York Knicks in New York. After the new game, I played terrible. So my father calls me on the phone. Yes, sir. You play like shit. Get your ass home now. Yes, sir. So when I get home, he said, what's wrong? You couldn't handle the pressure? And I said, yes. And he went crazy. Todd, are you athletes? Da, da, da. Just went off. Be, at, be here tomorrow at 0500 hours. So I get there at, at 0500. He didn't speak to me. We get in the car and we ride and I come upon this homeless family, and we're just sitting there watching them. And I was like, what are we doing here? Shut the hell up. Pressure is when you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Time to you spoil rich bastards talk about you can't handle the pressure. You play the game. If you play a bad game, just say you play a bad game. Don't play with all pressure. Get out. Get out of the car? Yeah, get out the car. So I had to get out the car, go take care of that family. Because he used to do, well, my father was very generous, you know, buy him stuff and give him stuff, but, you know, the guy was proud. He, he didn't really didn't want any help. So I, I'd speak to the guy and we're talking. He's like, hey, man, I just came out a hard time and just trying to, you know, get a job so I can get my family an apartment. So apartment was the key word. So I get on the phone, hey, uh, you still got them apartments? Yeah, I need a three bedroom apartment today. How much is rent? All right, 3000 okay, I'm going to send you a check for 36000 Now I got him a place to stay, so now we can start there. Hey, man, I'm, I'm going to call a limo. They're going to come pick you up and give you a place to stay. Just a couple thousand, get you some furniture, boom, boom, boom. So now as I'm talking to the guy, I said, what do you like to do? He said, man, I could do anything. I, I'll cut grass if you need me to. Grass is another keyword. Hey, man, you got a spot on your lawn to service for a friend of mine? Okay, he's a friend of mine. Give him a job, pay him whatever, and if it's not enough, I'll just put them in his bucket. So the guy worked, and a couple years after that, he started his own lawn service. So I hired him to do my lawn, and I just had to let him go last week. Well, not last week, but last year because I sold my house in Orlando. But that right there just taught, taught me never to say I have pressure because that was real pressure. And the guy 
was him and his wife and his son and his daughter. She's sitting there under the bridge in like a little tent. And I just feel terrible. But that's, that's probably that the best thing that my father made me do. We were, uh, we were talking about business and you've been massive in franchise. I was looking at the list of the businesses you've been involved in. I won't recount them all, there's too many. What have you learned from failures in business when it hasn't gone your way? I'm sure there's been times where you've got in situations and it hasn't turned out positively. What do you learn from so my favourite business quote and basketball and life quote, before you succeed, you must first learn to fail. But again, I do not make the same mistake twice. I've had a lot of failures in, in, in business and when you're the leader, it's your fault. So you have to go back and, and look at certain things and recalculate and recalibrate and then try not to make the same mistakes twice. I, uh, look, it's, it's life, I know. I'm blessed, I'm able to do a lot of things so when something doesn't go my way, I don't act like a little brat because in real life situations, we don't have time to act like a brat. We have to recoup, we have to recuperate, regenerate, refacilitate. And, you know, just, you know, keep it going. Like I've, you know, I've done a lot. I failed a lot. I used to try to invest in things and get, get rich quick. And those things never work. And then I heard Jeff Bezos say one day, if you invest in things that's gonna change people's lives, a lot of time you get a great return on your investment. So ever since I heard him say that, my strategy, it's, my strategy has been different. The basketball, here in Australia, the NBL has gone from, since Larry Kesselman has taken over, I know you, you know him, it's gone from strength to strength, it's doing very well in the range, we've got fantastic players. It's private ownership. What about the shack comes down and buys an Australian team? Do it, Jack. What do you think? Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. I, listen, I, I love this country. I do. Yeah, one of your, uh, your children is going through the basketball profession now. Um, spent some time with the Lakers in the summer. What's it like watching your young man, your son trying to chase his dream and how involved do you get? Do you find yourself as a dad wanting to say do this or do you try and hang back? I try to get super involved, but then I try not to get super involved. Right. He's going to have to learn how to handle his own reins. He knows and understands that I have the answers to the tests. And if he wants to ask me a question, I'll be there for him. Uh, I wanted him to stay in school another year, and, but he wanted to go. So as a father, you have to support that. And uh, he, he, he played in some league, he didn't make the team, and now he's in the G League. And that's his process of making every pro Everyone's process is gonna be different. And he's a fabulous player. He's like Giannis with a jump shot, but he has to figure out how to harness that energy. He's just, he's just too nice right now. Is he? Yeah, he's very, very nice, respectable kid. And like I tell That's him, good. No, not on the court. Okay. I, I always, I always tell him if a guy tries to tries to bow up against you, put your elbow right in his teeth and knock his teeth out. <laughs> That's how you do it. That's what I told Shane Hill. I said, if you bring your little ass in here one more time, <laughs> one more time, Shane. But you know, he just kept coming back. You've grown up, as you've explained to us, with loving parents that weren't able to provide a great deal financially. It's obviously going to be really different for your kids. How are you negotiating the path that you have tremendous wealth, yet you want them to 
learn their own lessons and find their own. So problems. from zero to 15, I spoiled them like crazy. Did you? Around 15 through What's 18. What spoiled like crazy? Just, you know, birthday parties and trips and all that crazy stuff. 15 through 18, when they, when they started becoming young adults, I started having certain conversational. First thing I told them is, we're not rich, I'm rich. <laughs> I need to write that one down. Yeah, like, we're, no, we, cause you know, like, you know, my, my kids are smart. So I always tell them, if you get all A's, you can get whatever you want. And they took that literally. So you know, my, my, my oldest son, when he became 18, he's been an A student since, since kindergarten. He says, Dad, uh, can you buy me a car? What's your grades like? I got all A's, like you say. All right, go pick a car and then call me. This son gun shows up with the Tesla. I'm like, no, 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 no. You better take your ass across the street to Honda. The Tesla, so, you know, I just had to give them that. And then I tell them, I said, look, education is very important. In order to touch daddy's cheese, you're going to have to have two degrees. <laughs> Say that one more time with the people that missed it. In order to touch daddy's cheese, you're going to have to have two degrees. <laughs> and I mean that, but listen, I have six fabulous kids. They, they don't give me any problems. And I also told them, I said, we don't need another basketball player in this family. Give me a lawyer. Give me a doctor. Give me a music executive. Give me somebody that's running a hedge fund. You guys could be whatever you want to be. I'll pay for college, I'll pay for your master, I'll pay for all that stuff, but at some point you, you, you have to be, be truly educated. And then once you, you, you accomplish that, then you know, we can have a conversation. Like one of my sons, is, he's, a, he's a hustler. Dad, I want to start a clothing line. All right, give me a business plan. What's a business plan? Nope, you're not ready. <laughs> I hope my children are listening to this conversation. No, they are. I hope they're listening to this conversation. You mentioned cars. Yes. You can't be an athlete on big dollars without having cars along the way. Have you had fancy cars? I used to do the dumbest thing with my fancy cars. Tell me. Because you little guys yeah. get to roll around in your little fancy cars like us big guys can't fit. Right. So one time I bought a Ferrari. Yep. And I, I noticed that when the top opens up, it was about 10 inches. Yep. So I ripped the top out and moved the car back, and now I have a Ferrari. Right. But this was before the weather app was invented. Right. I'd be in Florida sometimes, and it'd start thundering and, and raining, and I'd, I'd get wet. But now I'm, I, I like Chargers, yeah. Challengers, and Ford F-150s. Nice big truck. Nice big truck. Yeah, I like that. I like that. How have you dealt with fame? Like you, you walk in here tonight, everyone wants to speak to you, everyone wants a piece of you. You, you will leave here to a restaurant, everyone will want to come up and approach you. It's not, it's not national fame, it, it's global fame. Wherever you go, someone will know who you are. So if you take the word fame out, because I don't consider myself famous, I'm just a guy that listened to his mommy and daddy and because of telecommunications and because of a sport that everyone loves to watch, people recognize who I am. Mm. But if I go into a place and people are nice, I have to return the niceness. That's a lot of niceness to return, though. Uh, look, I, I like it. I love it. If I ever have a, a, a day where I'm not feeling like I want to be bothered, just won't leave the house. It's just you know, as simple as that. I'm not one of those guys, no, leave me alone. Like, I love children. If a kid comes and wants to take a picture, always take a picture with, with kids. Period. Love it. Love it. So, so many more things to talk to you about, but you're quite an artistic customer. You've had a lot of success in your I life. come from a land down under. <laughs> and what I say, I cannot say no more. 
Where women glow and men thunder. That's it. That's my favourite song in high school. That's it. That's yeah, it. Yes. That's it. Men at work. You've been so. I have a question. You gone. I'll see. I'll see. I'll see. Where does that originate from? Footy. Footy crowds. Football. No, but oil, oil, what does that mean? Well, we're being told cricket as well. I, I don't oh, know. cricket, okay, sort of cool. Right. What, what do you know about cricket? I, I work on a lot of cricket. Tell me your views of cricket. Yeah, cricket is a little bug. <laughs> no, I, I've seen it, but I've never really got into it. It takes five days and you don't always get a result. Yeah, I, I can't do it. You've had a lot of success in life. We, we've got um, a lot of people watching, a lot of business people, but more importantly for me, a lot of young kids watching and listening and they look up to you and what Shaq says is what goes, what have you learnt in your life that entails success? How do you achieve it? You have to have trust. You have to have great teammates. Because remember, there's no I in team. But there is, you know, there, 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 there is no I in team. So you have to have trust. Everything that I've accomplished and built, not done it by myself. I may get the credit because I'm, I'm the figure that everyone knows and looks at, but everything I've done is, is my team. My charity work, my mother, my DJ career, little guy over there named Brian Body, you know, me staying out of trouble, that Derek and Scoop and Mark, that guys, Rishi, Danny, whenever I get ready to go crazy, they say, nope, don't do that. Don't do it. Like today, I was tired. I wanted to cancel it. My guy's like, man, you can't cancel it. And I'm glad I didn't because when I showed up to that store, it was 10,000 people out there. And I wish I could have took autographs to everybody, but we got about 2,000 people. Like tonight, I think I'm taking 500 pictures tonight. So, you know, I have, I have guys that make sure I look good. And I actually learned that and uh, adopted that from winning championships. You can never do anything without a team. And when things aren't going your way, when you're not winning championships, when you're on your knees, what have you learned then about getting up? You have to regroup. You know, fall seven times, get up eight. You know, when, when I get knocked down, we just go, laugh about it, and say, okay, this is why I got knocked down. You just keep going. Just keep going. You, know, you always have to keep going. I am programmed to, to not, not settle. You know, I, I told the story I'm gonna tell it, I don't know if everybody heard it, but from nine, to 2011, when I was young, I would play and I, I would win. So in the States, you, you play your games on Saturday and you win a little championship. So the trophy would sit Saturday, Sunday. When I wake up Monday, it'd be gone. Trophy be gone? Be gone. Like nowhere in the house. And my father's the type, you cannot ask a question. He asked the questions. You don't get to ask him a question, especially if you don't address him as sir. So now that I'm older and you know I'm making money, I'm paying all the bills. <laughs> you know we're, we're just sitting at the house, you know, watching football. I say, whatever happened to those trophies? It's like I was waiting for you to ask that. So he had built another room behind a bookcase that I didn't even know. So it was like the sports memorabilia room. He had all my trophies there. And I said, why did you take them? He said, because I never wanted you to be complacent. <laughs> so even after I won the championship, the MVP trophy, he'd be like, get home. I need my trophy. So I'd, I'd bring the trophy home. All right, see you later. Go get another one. Like, damn, we'll just go get another one. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the one, the only. I hope you get a photo. You're a star, mate. Have safe travels, Australia. Great you, to Australia. see you, Mr. Shaquille. Love you, Australia. As I said at the start, uh, 48 hours. I will not forget. I said goodbye 
And thank you to Shaquille in Sydney after the show late on a Friday night. He didn't say much. He just came up and he gave me a hug, which was very nice. And I just sort of disappeared into his physical being. Enormous man. Lots of love for him in this country. And he gave lots back, which was absolutely fantastic. I love the way he treated people. Everyone he met seemed to deal with warmth and humour and all round just general good vibes. So well done. Well done to Mr Shaquille O'Neal. Hope you enjoyed the showtime the big man brought to the table. Until Thursday with Rugby League immortal Andrew Johns. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try